Hello, dear listeners. This week, we are celebrating our five-year anniversary with an episode all about our history-making American hysteria. Our producer, Miranda Zickler, will be interviewing Lilo Me about the journey of our podcast, as well as my own personal life journey and how it has informed the content. You know, things like queerness, solidarity, faith, and death. We also answer some of your questions that we've received over the years and celebrate you, our amazing audience, who have made all of this possible for us. So please enjoy this kind of vulnerable conversation with me, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and here's to what we hope are many more years making American Hysteria. Ladies and gentlemen, boths and neithers, teens, babies, dogs, dogs, yes, they are your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and this is the five-year anniversary of American Hysteria. Yay! (laughs) That was an absolutely stunning, stunning introduction. Thank you, Miranda. Wow. Is that Irish? Um, it's just something new. <laughs> oh, I love it. You're doing great. You can do no wrong on today, the day of days that is your day. It's our day. It's our day. You're right. But it's mostly yours. <laughs> Stop. No, it's I would be DOA, as they say on Friends, if uh, <laughs> if it weren't for you guys. Well, we are going to go into some questions today. We gathered many questions and comments over time and over the last few days. And we're just going to go through and uh, talk about what it's been like to make this show for the last five years. The first question that we have gotten kind of generally over the years that I think is a perfect starting place is What is the origin story of this podcast? You know, Miranda, like all great businesses, American Hysteria started in a WeWork. (laughs) 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 And uh, which I believe has just announced bankruptcy. So it's appropriate. Godspeed. Godspeed. (laughs) It's appropriate. RIP, I guess. But uh, yeah, I was working for a company uh, producing a different podcast and hosting a different podcast. I was the only employee on the West Coast. So we had me in this solo WeWork space sort of representing part of this business. And then we were kind of trying to acquire podcasts. And I met Jim Perry of Mm. the podcast Euphemet, our paranormal correspondent. Um, Mm -hmm. And I started working for Euphemet as an assistant producer and traveling with Jim to 
uh, interview people who have had paranormal experiences. So very much uh, kind of the almost the opposite of what American hysteria is, but also not right. Also not. And I think the the best image I have of like the earliest days before any episodes even were put out is we had this big ass whiteboard, one of those ones that flips over and you can use either side of it. Mm -hmm. And if anyone has ever been to a WeWork, one of the big, I guess, appeals to people, but uh, it's not necessarily me, is that all of the walls of each office are transparent. So you can just see what everybody's doing. And so it was just Jim and me in this transparent <laughs> office. And on the whiteboard was all of our ideas about American hysteria and ideas for episodes. So it's just this whiteboard full of the weirdest terms and the weirdest, you know, it just says like stranger danger, poison Halloween candy, <laughs> the Illuminati, teenage sex, and all of these, you know, basically all of the episodes that would become season one. And, you know, otherwise we're like next to a company that specializes in like storing your stuff in a new millennial way. <laughs> and, like, you know, we're next to the kombucha stand where everybody's going, including me, and filling up their little water bottles full of kombucha. And yeah, it was it was definitely like a pretty hilarious starting point, uh, especially because at the time it was like in the beginning of kind of the WeWork <laughs> controversies. And one day we went to use their phone booths and on the phone booth, there was a piece of paper that was like, sorry, these are closed because we've discovered that there is formaldehyde coating them. <laughs> and I don't know why that was. But yeah, it was just um, a pretty hilarious place to start. And starting more from a paranormal background was also, I think, really fun and eventually very illuminating to wanting to make a show that left room for the unknown while also, uh, you know, debunking the things that were important to debunk, but not taking away the fun and the joy that that belief can also bring, which is, of course, the greatest challenge of the show, which I know we'll get into eventually. But um, other than that, you know, it was my love of urban legends really informed what I wanted to do. Growing up reading scary stories to tell in the dark, growing up on the early internet, too, and all the strange things that you could find on the early internet. Growing up with, you know, I've talked about it a million times. I don't want to get into it that much, but growing up with, with conspiracy theories in my life, as well as paranormal beliefs, you know, coming from my family members and um, just my own conspiratorial thinking and how that had been sort of challenged over the years leading up to making American hysteria, but still being obsessed with those same stories and wanting to find a way to, you know, make content out of that kind of meeting place between my own growing skepticism that is in, like, contrast to the wild believer that I once was and trying to find, like, where are the important places that we need to ask questions and also how can we have fun while asking these big questions and confronting these scary things and things that maybe otherwise might be really challenging. So the show itself was something that you conceptualized with Jim. 
You know, I mean, yeah, it was definitely with Jim. I mean, we were together most days and he was the man I was bouncing everything off of. And I mean, he is one of the most supportive, kind people that I've ever known. Mm -hmm. And it's like, always such an honor to work with him and and be friends with him and yeah i mean he was really a huge part of the show and and so was will rogers who's Mm -hmm. our voice actor um he was also working at the same company and he lived on the east coast so we were working together in podcasting as well he was doing a lot of amazing stuff you know, with uh, narrative forms. And, you know, that became also part of the inspiration of trying to make kind of a a multimedia show that involved kind of cinematic elements, right? And that's when I met Rod Rodriguez, who is our uh, sound designer, Clear Combo Studios. Yay. He was introduced to me by the people who own the company um, and was, you know, they were like, here's your sound guy and i said okay and you know we we've worked together since the very beginning the sound of american hysteria is the sound of rod you know i mean he is we work together every time an episode comes out to really create the kind of soundscape that i want and i can just sort of put my trust in him to bring that same tone to every episode. And so, you know, I had that early team. I brought in my little brother, Riley Swidelius Smith, and um, he was so inspiring to me because growing up, I knew no one as obsessive as Riley and knew no one who was so good at recalling facts and history. I mean, he was into history way before I was. I did not. I didn't even really like history before making American Hysteria, which is absurd, right? It's all I think about now. But (laughs) so he became a research assistant. And, you know, that was kind of our first year team. And uh, I was going through such a hard time. And I have no idea. I mean, I'll never go back and listen to any episodes ever mm-hmm. because I will pull my hair out because I am a obscene perfectionist and will, you know, beat myself up forever about any little mistake. But I don't know if if going back and listening for other people, if it's like detectable. But it was like I was going through one of the worst periods of my life. And it was like a crawl to the finish line with that series, especially our end of the world episode. Sometimes I look back at kind of what was going on in my life and I am like really amazed that I was able to put out this season and uh Around that time is when, you know, I met you and you became not only my partner, um, but also our producer. And, you know, it was like, in addition to the whole team, it was, you know, you and I eventually in lockdown and you would take care of me as I paced and pulled my hair out and you would really bring me down to earth and like really help me like get a grip on what was important for each topic and what like needed to go what needed to stay like what do I want to say what do I what really matters here like that was so like you coming in and perfecting the thing that like felt so heavy on my shoulders, right? Like it was like, I knew that I had you to make sure that 
I was being clear in the ways that I wanted to be and that the message was coming across and that the stories we were telling, we were telling with the right kind of sensitivity. And, you know, you helped me pronounce my words. (laughs) (laughs) If you go back to season one, don't at me about what I've always talked about. Nuclear. Yes. okay, nuclear. I'm sorry. (laughs) Also, I say things like Des Moines. Yeah. Embarrassing. (laughs) But no more. I bet it's really hard to find a mispronunciation of a word since Miranda has been onboarded (laughs) to the team. (laughs) I think it all that speaks to like the fact that our show is like a DIY show. Like Mm -hmm. it's uh we did start out on more of a network situation, so we had that initial push that really helped us to to get us out there and to get people to know what our show is. But but since then, since becoming independent in season two, it's like, and I mean, that was in like 2019, I think. It's just really been like our ragtag group. I mean, I'm a small business owner. Mm-hmm. If you can believe that. <laughs> and guess what? America does not treat us well. <laughs> But, um, you know, I mean, like my mom does so much for our show. Hi, mom. Thank you. So, you know, I think it does speak to the fact that we're just a group of people who care about each other and are trying our best to put out the best stuff that we can and also create something that people will really enjoy without um, the limitations that can be put on you when you don't own your own intellectual property. Yeah. So we just really do get to do what we want for the most part. And that is a a big gift and something that, you know, like our Patreon and Apple Plus communities like really helps us be able to do that. And um, yeah, so does our, (laughs) you know, so does James at our ad network, Wizard. There are people involved in this that are on the outside, but still like very much a part of our team. Lauren Passell is like the patron saint of podcasting. She's helped us with PR, with interviews, with everything. She just is such a vital part of our little team, too. And it's just like I feel so lucky that we have we've been able to kind of cultivate that freedom and that we've been able to do it together. Yeah, we're the family punk band of history podcasts. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) Well, all of that kind of segues well into the next question that I have here, which is, what is the hardest part about making the show? Which you've touched on a little bit, but please expand. The hardest part of making this freaking show is like the fear that accompanies it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because as you know... Every time we put out an episode, I spend, and you, and everybody. But mostly you. <laughs> but really me, because I'm, I'm the dweller. I dwell, I dwell, I dwell, I dwell. I ruminate, and I fear. <laughs> and every episode has something in it that I want to get across that feels difficult and feels like potentially controversial, uh, potentially something that might make people mad Mm -hmm. and figuring out the way to say that, that can get through that initial like wall of feelings. There are sometimes things where I'm like, I don't know how this idea, this story will be received. And I'm going to do my very best to 
honor the fact that it's a difficult story and get it to people in the best, most productive way that I can. But every Sunday night, (laughs) I am laying in bed and I'm not sleeping unless I take some sort of sleep aid because (laughs) I'm going over every little thing or there's a sentence that I'm like, ah, that I don't know if I said that right. And it's really helped me grow and like face the fact that like you can't make everybody happy. And often we get letters from people that are really hard for me to process and deal with. And Mm -hmm. that's often someone who has a personal experience with the content that we've made and want to tell me why something I said or the way that I talked about something or a story I told hurt them personally, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's the internet. Everybody goes through this. It's in no way unique. And no matter what you do, if you're talking to enough people, something is going to hurt someone. Mm-hmm. And I hate it. Those letters haunt me. And it, it does haunt me that that I could ever cause somebody any kind of harm, you know, and whether that's it, it's not that these letters are always um, justified or fair or um, in good faith. Mm-hmm. But, you know, other times I get letters that want to engage with the content and come to me in good faith and just let me know, hey, I know you didn't mean to do this. I know this wasn't your intention, but maybe you didn't think about this when you were talking. It's still hard, but I like that's something I really appreciate about our audience, about you all, is that usually when you do engage with me about things that you think I have either done wrong or could do better, it's really in good faith. And I think that that does speak to the way we've been able to cultivate this community that really wants to find solidarity in this world and wants to move toward healing and doesn't want to get stuck in outrage and wants to move beyond those feelings so that we can actually get to the work that needs to be done and not be distracted being angry at each other and accusing each other of things. And that's like something that I feel more grateful for than probably anything else is like how our community really does work in good faith. And I think that that can be really rare. Yeah. And I think that you do a really good job in a skill that you've sort of cultivated over time, which is figuring out which of those letters and attempts to engage with you feels possible to engage back with. And I've seen you have situations where somebody just needs to talk about something that happened to them and you engage with it and you think on what has caused harm or what has caused perceived harm and say to them, like, these are the ways that I feel like I can be more sensitive to this in the future. I do care. (laughs) As cliche as it is, like, I really do care about everybody that listens to this show. And, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, what's the response? Is this finally the time that everybody decides I'm a monster and hates me? And uh, whenever I do have that Sunday night panic anxiety, I'm always made to feel better by our listeners who take the time to write me and let me know that they liked the episode. Like, I actually get to wake up to 
people confirming to me that what I've said is okay and that the message came through. And so for those of you who do that for me, I'm so grateful and you don't know how much it really impacts my own mental health um, because I I may appear confident, <laughs> but, you know, I'm not. <laughs> and uh, I'm always worried. My brow is perpetually creased. <laughs> and, and, you know, it is the listeners and the community that that keeps me able to do it again. Yeah. More after this. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American and Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now, back to the show. Well, speaking of that, what are some of the things listeners have written in to tell you that are, like, fueling this and making mm. you feel like you can... Do you have, like, specific stories? I'm asking, like, I don't know you do. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> Always the best are the ones where people are like, I listen to this with a family member who might be more right wing or who isn't very political, but maybe has been a little bit um, indoctrinated with certain ideas. And when I hear that someone unconventional, let's say, has been able to engage with my content, that's a really big deal to me because I want that. Like I make the show with the hope that the stories will speak for themselves, mm -hmm. that history will speak for itself, and then I can do my little soapbox at the end and uh, try to share my ideas in a way that people can digest enough that there's like some kernel of it that might shift their meter just a little bit. And I think that, that knowing that 
the show has helped some people reconnect with people that they felt like they might be losing through all of this hysteria that's happened over the last, you know, five years. That is like, wow, to me. The very first thing that happened that I like was like, well, okay, the show is doing something was um, just a comment on like some early Instagram post from a man who was, you know, he said something like, I'm 60 or 70 years young and I've been afraid of Satan my whole life. Mm. And your show taught me why and taught me like how Satan was created in culture and used. And he was like, and I feel free, like for the first time, like I wish I could hug you, like I'm finally free. Mm -hmm. And I was like, fuck, like, (laughs) holy shit, right? Like, I didn't grow up religious, so it's like, I think even for people who did grow up religious, there's even more sort of like understanding around that. But I was like, man, like, that is really special. (laughs) And that was like a huge, huge moment for me and kind of one of the most memorable for sure. And I think, um, Miranda, there's a a message that I think we would like... (laughs) (laughs) to read that we like recently got this is from caitlin hi caitlin hey caitlin and uh it's it's one of my personal favorite messages we've we've gotten about the show she says okay this is going to be a weird fan message but i have to share it you are my dog's favorite podcast which is immediately like a perfect opener yes She says, I listen to a bunch of different ones and she only comes running when the little clank of the beginning theme music plays. She won't let me give her a bath or her medicine unless this podcast is playing. If she's howling and I need her to chill, I play your podcast. So thank you for being my dog's favorite show. And thank you on behalf of my neighbors for keeping her quiet when I have to leave her home alone. (laughs) I mean, come on. Talk about the peak of a career right there. Oh, my God. Ugh, yeah. Shout out to that dog. Shout out to that dog. I wish I knew the dog's name because I would, like, call its name right now. Oh, good girl. Oh, you're such a good girl. (laughs) Made that dog's day. Anyway, thanks for that, Caitlin. (laughs) (laughs) Really filled our entire, like, everyone with joy, that message. Truly. You sent it everywhere and everyone was very excited. (laughs) Nary a greater accomplishment from this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) So before you started the show, you spent some time on the road. And even before that, you have, throughout your adult life, taken on some kind of unconventional methods of travel. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how it's informed the show? Yeah, I mean, it definitely informed the show, like, in ways that I probably don't even remember consciously because... Yeah, starting, and I've talked about this, you know, I mean, our Hipsters episode really goes into this part of my life and and kind of interrogates it a little bit, which I'm not going to do right now, though it is fair to interrogate the archetype of the middle class hitchhiker who doesn't need to be on the road and yet takes on that uh, role. And I sure did that. And I did it every summer throughout my college career. And um, 
over the course of that <laughs> career, yeah, I went to almost every state um, getting rides with people and meeting people and, I mean, having intimate conversations with every kind of person that I can really imagine. <laughs> and I think doing that taught me, like, a lot about America and about the types of people that make up America, because it's like we have a lot of ideas about people that are kind of cardboard cutouts or are based on one characteristic about them. And we're like, oh, well, that this is this person because, you know, they are this category of person, mm -hmm. you know, stereotypes. But I think like I really got a lot of rides, especially with um, with the men of America. And I was a dashboard confessional, let's say. Great band. Um, <laughs> for a lot of different kinds of people, but especially for, I think, men who did not have any person in their life that they felt safe to be vulnerable with. Because being a man in America especially of a certain age, like vulnerability is, of course, extremely discouraged. So I learned so much about like pain and how much pain people are holding. And it doesn't matter who they are. I think that, of course, who they are illuminates the cause of their pain or what their pain can do to others. But just on a basic level, like I would have men break down and cry about their dead wives, about war trauma, about a trauma that happened to them when they were growing up, about their loss of faith in God. I mean, any kind of conversation, I probably had something <laughs> that approximates it. And I think that it taught me a lot about empathy and not even in the sense of like, oh, this pain is valid or this pain isn't valid or like this pain was caused by themselves or, you know, like just not quantifying or categorizing. And not just a handful of times did someone tell me a secret that they had never told anyone, knowing that they would never see me again or mm -hmm. see me and the people. I was often with other people just for the moms of the pod, <laughs> as we call them. Um, I was usually not alone in this, but I had travel companions who kind of had the same desire of, because, you know, I mean, we went into this not just like, ooh, we want to get to like New Mexico, but it was like, we want to do something with what we're doing. And we we did. I had this desire to be that for people. I think mm -hmm. once I got on the road and discovered that I had the ability to be a space like that for people, it changed what I felt like I could do. And it was like this lesson in other people. <laughs> and it was a lesson in like, okay, like, America is a dark place with many problems, but within it are people who have like big love and big sadness and also just gave me just a hunger for stories and for people's stories and how those stories made up America as a whole. Yeah, totally. Also, a lot of people have written in 
to us about how the show has kind of helped them figure out their own queerness and gender identities. Do you want to talk a little bit about how your identity has has played into this show and your other work? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that was definitely the the most response that we got from asking for all of your questions and experiences as listeners was like it came back to that kind of response of, you know, you helped me figure out my gender identity, sexuality, whatever, which is like such an honor and such a <laughs> a massive thing that I can't fully um I can't fully metabolize cuz it's, you know, it's big, but um when I was growing up in the Bushian years, you know, when <laughs> gay marriage was like one of the hottest topics, um I was in high school and and figuring out that I was queer, which was not an easy an easy journey and during those years, a really common refrain of like homophobia or whatever you want to say was like, you're not gay. And so I'd have a lot of like boys and men tell me, no, you're not gay. You're going to like date me. <laughs> or like, I remember this this one experience where I met this man who was hitting on me and telling me about how much he thought we were like supposed to be together just something stupid and you know being like 17 18 whatever you're like oh i'll just keep talking to this person <laughs> instead of just like right. leaving you know i just listened to him and i was like well you know i'm gay so it's not gonna happen but i was like nice about it and i just remember he was like God made man and woman and like spiritually they fit together and blah, 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 gobbledygook. And I just remember standing there and saying like, I'm going to stay here and have this conversation and I am going to learn how to not let anyone affect me in this way. Mm -hmm. I would like challenge myself and stay in these conversations on the road sometimes. I mean, most of the time I hid that I was gay out of safety, but um, there were just times when I just like developed this weird muscle or that's what I like wanted to be doing. And I'm not saying that anyone else should do this, but this was my mindset was like, I have control over whether someone hurts me or not. And I really like believe that and I worked that muscle. And so I think I kind of like I bring that similar energy to the podcast where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to learn everything about the Westboro Baptist Church. I'm going to read every mean, terrible thing they say about people like me, and I'm not going to let that hurt me. And I'm going to be strong enough, you know, again, this isn't mm -hmm. like right or correct. <laughs> I'm not telling other people to be this way. But, you know, I'm like, I have the power to take their ideas against me, learn about them, look them dead in the eye, analyze them, and try to make something from them. I developed a different kind of relationship that I do feel like I have that skill set and thus maybe that responsibility because I, I can and I enjoy it in a sense. I enjoy engaging with like inflammatory content against myself because I know that for many people, that 
is so triggering and so painful and so terrifying that it, it it's just like I don't even want to engage with anything like that. And why would you? That's my job. <laughs> but, you know, I think there is so much that you can squeeze out of these poison fruits, right? And I just happen to have developed that muscle and to actually enjoy the challenge of engaging with people who would never want to engage with me. Yeah, absolutely. We all appreciate you for it. I hope so. Thank you. To close out these kind of frequently asked questions and to shake off that bit of vulnerability, um, uh. <laughs> a lot of people have written, you're doing great. You're doing a great job, Chelsea. Um, A lot of people have written about using the show for like high school and college courses. What is your relationship to academia? Well, academics out there, you have my respect, my admiration, <laughs> and I owe you a lot because this show is fueled by obscure academic papers. Mm -hmm. And uh, to hear that the show's being used in like science class, I'm like, ooh, uh-oh, <laughs> me? <laughs> science. Um, but it's also like so cool. Like I went to grad school. I've talked about University of Virginia. And as part of my program, I got to teach poetry. And that was like one of the happiest years of my life. Like I loved teaching college. And I hope to do it maybe in my third act of life. Um, but I just absolutely am so indebted to people who do the hard, nitty gritty work of like the subject matter that we cover. And like, you know, I feel like we do a lot of research. We go really in depth. But these are people who worked on these dissertations for years. And I get to just take that and, and parse through it and find the stuff that will engage our audience and the stories and even the perspectives and theories, you know, I get to use those and I try my best to let people know who has contributed during the episodes. But, you know, that doesn't really do justice to how important academics are to to our work. And, and my hope is always to be able to take that hard work and get it to a larger audience through kind of like turning it into more pop content that people can listen to and laugh with. You know, unfortunately, uh, academic papers are famously unfunny. So <laughs> we get to like take these hard won ideas and hard won research and theories and and try to get those ideas out in a way that hopefully most people can experience. I love when you all write to us and talk about, you know, what you're doing in your classes. So please always do that. It really, I mean, it fills my heart with joy that even though I can't be teaching, I can be a part of a curriculum. Like that is like absolutely thrilling to me. <laughs> and I think the other thing I'll say about that is like in my heart of hearts, what I really want to be is in this long lineage of folklorists that I love so much. And I'll always like shout my praises to Jan Brunvond to the, you know, ends of the earth, who is the man who really coined the term urban legend, who really took the idea of contemporary folklore as an academic himself, as someone who is literally like gathering stories about urban legends and and creating compendiums of all of these stories, but also delivering them in ways that anyone could 
enjoy and understand. And I was like blown away by like him analyzing these stories that I'd heard my whole life that I loved just as they were and like telling me that they had this like cultural significance and that they could teach us about like what it meant to be a person and what it meant to be even an American. It was like, it blew me away. And so I think I really, really hope that this work is continuing kind of this long line. I mean, more than moral panics, more than conspiracy theories, like my heart is in urban legends. And, you know, I hope to do justice to that lineage and, uh, you know, maybe get to, to be a part of it and be considered a part of it. That would be a huge honor for me. Well, I consider you a part of it. I think you're a folklorist. Thank you. I think you're a podcast. That's Che Diaz. <laughs> yes, thank you. More after this. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. And now, back to the show. Should we get into some more specific questions from the folks yeah. who make us go? Yeah, and thank you all so much for writing in. You know, we obviously can't read everybody's questions and comments, but I mean, it was like, oh, it was just so wonderful to hear from all of you. So if you wrote in, like, just know that I absolutely read it, that we read it, and that like it's so meaningful, uh, each and every one of you. So just like, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Yeah, y'all are the engine. Oh, yeah. Okay, I want to say Brigitte because it's spelled that way, it could be Bridget. And Brigitte asks, what is your Roman Empire? Yeah, I was like thinking about this question and what I kept landing on is Jesus H. Christ. <laughs> I think about that guy all the time. It's true. What I really mean by that is not necessarily Jesus, but I think a lot about religious history, understanding the belief structure of a culture is like how you understand a culture. And I think religious history is so fascinating to me because you can trace back so many ideas to these books and so much of our 
troubles, so many of our (laughs) troubles, so many of our wars and conflicts go back to like these handful of sacred texts. And like if we don't understand them, then it's really hard to get a full picture of anything. And, you know, you can read the Bible. That's one thing. But then you can go back and read the Bible as a historical document. And when you do that, it takes so much of that context, the rules inside of it, the stories that happened, the strange miracles, and it puts it into a context of war, a context of the politics happening in the year zero, right? (laughs) Like what is actually happening that is facilitating the creation of these sacred texts. And to me, that is like something that's not only like absolutely fascinating, but like truly vital to to me to understand what is the like heart of so many of the stories that we tell and the stories that have become new stories and morphed and changed but are still kind of the same and just affect everything about our lives just depending on which of these sacred texts you know your family or your culture uses and it's like the more i feel that i can understand the myths of a group of people it's like okay then i can really start to understand the best way to communicate my own ideas in a way that can be like understood and interacted with in a productive way. So that's that's what I think about all the time is uh, early religious history. Can confirm. Yes, she can. <laughs> Alani asks, what is the episode that you've done slash researched that has taught you the most? Oof, yeah. Love this question. I think... It was the episode we did called Rednecks, which has definitely been one of the episodes that's gotten the most positive feedback and one of those episodes that I know that has helped people connect with family members that they like would otherwise disagree with Mm -hmm. because it's an episode about questioning some of our narratives, our elitist, classist narratives about working class white people and how, you know, working class white people are the reason that we have racism. They're the reason our country's going down the drain because they're so stupid and, you know, they vote against their own interests and they, you know, are bad people. And that always rubbed me the wrong way just because, like, I don't really like anything that's that reductive. Mm -hmm. It's like when we focus on fighting people that also lack systemic power, then we're not focusing on the people that are creating the conditions that are crushing all of us in different ways, no matter who we are, as long as we're not rich politicians or whatever, you know, like people who actually have the power to make the decisions that harm us, you know, like I just started to really see like, I don't want to punch across the aisle anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to make fun of these people as if it's somehow benefiting the like leftist project, because it's not, you know, what benefits our project is trying to find as much solidarity as we can. Sometimes we can't. We don't always want to find solidarity with people who hate us, don't get me wrong, but there are many times, I think, and this episode taught me, that you can reach across that aisle, like the Rainbow Coalition, uh, Fred Hampton, the Black Panther Fred Hampton's Rainbow Coalition, Mm -hmm. changed my life, like hearing about that and really learning about that. There's not always going to be 100% agreement between you and another person, but if you can 
find the common ground that you need to tolerate one another enough to work side by side for like liberation, then I think that that episode really helped me learn that for me, that is a big goal and something that I think is so worth doing. I don't think it's a I don't think anyone ever has to do that kind of work or has to feel like they want to find that kind of solidarity, but I think if you if that resonates with you that it can't hurt to reach across those aisles and like try to find ways to work together. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's that old idea of like we all want the same things at the end of the day. We want health and safety and the same for our loved ones. Um, well, that was really beautifully said. And I think it segues perfectly into our kind of closing thought and question here, which is from Courtney. Courtney says, something I've always admired about your show is its tone. Although you are approaching your subjects through a skeptical lens, it's easy to forget that because of the grace and understanding you give to people who do earnestly believe in something beyond what we can see. I was wondering if you could tell us about the balancing act between love and skepticism and what it means to you to make work that publicly engages with that often tenuous relationship. Oh, Courtney, (laughs) you cut to the core of me, Courtney. Um, No, it's 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 like such a good question. And I think that the reason that I have a lot of grace for people who believe in things that, you know, maybe we're like, what Um, is because I once believed in things that many people might go, what? (laughs) And uh, and so I think I'd be a hypocrite, you know, if I if I didn't approach people and their beliefs with some modicum of respect and uh, understanding because like before I became the flexible skeptic that I am I was very much a new age uh, mystical thinker you know and I don't know what I think of that everything now in terms of what I believe what I don't believe but you know I, I really had a sense of my own purpose and that there was like an intelligence in the universe and something that like loved me and wanted me to do good. You know, basically I had my own little hero's journey and my traveling was definitely a part of that. And, you know, that's definitely mellowed and I don't really have that faith anymore. And that has always been just, I mean, Miranda, you have to talk me through it all the time of just like having this void of not believing in something. And part of that was because, you know, I, I had a death in my family of, you know, I mean, I talk about this. My, my When my grandpa died, who was also part of the subject of the Rednecks episode, um, you know, I was I was present and that was just really like really changed my view on life in a way that that was really hard. Mm-hmm. And um, he's my, you know, the he was my person in a way, you know, he was like the person I wanted to emulate in a way. He was like a spiritual being to me because he was just such a, Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he was such a, a loving non-judgmental force in the world. And, uh, mm-hmm. I wanted so badly to be like him. Um, Oh boy. Um, and so I think when anyone goes 
through a loss, um, especially a loss that makes you sort of confront the nitty gritty of of life and death. You know, I think it really um, it changes you. And I think some people have that change happen at different stages of life. But it is like it's challenging to your faith. It's challenging to your way of seeing the world. And that happens on scales, large and small. And um, from there, you know, not long after that happened, I started to make American hysteria. And my whole focus was interrogating the beliefs of others, but even more so interrogating my own beliefs Mm -hmm. and my own fantastical thinking and the things I believed and tracing those things back to the, the, the beginnings of the people who started talking about them and being like, oh, like this thing that I like believed in was started because this man wrote this like book that I hate you know and just being like oh man like that it's challenging to like have to face the things that you believe in a historical way and in a way where you're like okay now I actually understand each stage of my belief and how it came from either something that I now can see is ridiculous or that maybe is even actively harmful, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, it really was and is a really big struggle for me because I miss believing in something and I miss like knowing that I have a purpose. And, you know, I think recently you and I, Miranda, were driving back from a trip and just like deep in a conversation and I was like very emotional and crying and talking about you know missing my experience of faith and just feeling like I couldn't truly know if I had a purpose you know if I don't believe in a greater intelligence like how can I have a purpose and I just I'm like stuck on this thing and I just we were driving and 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 I said like I just don't know if I have a purpose and like we both looked up and like in front of us was a van with a bumper sticker that said if you're reading this you have a purpose and we were both like Oh, like, like, holy shit. Yeah, I've never seen a bumper sticker like that before in my life. No, no. And and like the billions to one chance that the sentence that I said at that moment would connect to the bumper sticker like directly in front of us. I mean, it got me closer (laughs) to believing in something. It didn't get me over it. You know, it didn't get me there. I don't even know if that's where I should go. But like, you know, it it was I did have that moment of like, wow, like, what does that mean? And Mm -hmm. like, and I don't even know exactly what I think my purpose is. But I do want to help people get past their fear and outrage and connect with each other and and be reminded of their love and their heart as cliche as it is but like to help people even just for a little bit of time while they're listening to the show to enter that space and enter that like empathy and also loosen up enough to laugh and say oh my gosh how ridiculous is everything and maybe from there like come to something more serious on their own. And um, I'll continue to be a flexible skeptic and continue to seek, because I am a seeker, to be sure. I don't know what I'll find, but yeah, I just, I hope that in my own journey, too, that other people 
feel like they can come along and that they can have their own journey and that it's okay to question your beliefs. And in fact, it's vital to question your beliefs and hopefully, you know, end up somewhere better than when you started. I just, I don't know where that'll be for me quite yet. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chelsea, for having this conversation with me and for all the work you've done in the past five years and for everything you are. I really appreciate you. And I just wanted to make sure you knew that. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. Thank you, Miranda. And I I just so appreciate you and everything you've done for me and in my life and with this show. And I appreciate our whole team so much, Riley, Rod and Will and Lauren and James and my mom, Sally, and my whole family and all my friends and everybody who's been supportive through this. Like, I just like am so grateful and I'm shocked that I get to do this for my job. Like I'm stunned. And, you know, it is because of all of you that that happened for me. And like, I just am indebted to you and so grateful. And like all of you fill me with so much hope. And I just want all of you to know that like no comments that you make to me go unappreciated. So just thank you so much. And just for listening. Thank you so much for listening, as I like to say. And have a great week. Have a great week. (laughs) This was American Hysteria. If you enjoyed this conversation between Miranda and I, consider becoming a patron or Apple Plus subscriber to get access to Hysteria Home Companion, where we tell you stories related to the topics we cover on the show. Most recently, Miranda told me one of the best weird tales I've ever heard about a real corpse used in an old California dark ride and the incredible Forrest Gumpian journey that led that cadaver to the carnival. Just head to patreon.com slash American Hysteria or subscribe on your Apple Podcast app. You'll also get ad-free episodes. You can always follow us on Instagram at American Hysteria Podcast. And if you have some time, leaving us a review on the app of your choice really helps us out. This episode was edited, produced, and hosted by Miranda Zickler with sound design by Clear Camo Studios. Thanks again for listening these last five years, and I can't wait to continue the journey with all of you.